Great moments are born from great opportunity. So you're telling me there's a chance. You suck compared to me. So you guys are two prep school white guys podcast. We are underdogs. They stay ready so you don't have to get ready. I haven't even told anybody this. This is kind of crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Longshot Podcast. I'm your host, Davis Reed. And I have a very special episode this week. I sat down with one of my best friends in the world, a former teammate of mine and Duncan's at Phillips Exeter now the assistant coach for the women's basketball program here in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan, Harry Rafferty. Harry knows Duncan better than I think really anybody that I'm aware of outside of Duncan's family. And so I've been wanting to have him on the podcast for a while. Duncan and I have been wanting to have him on the podcast for a while. He's been referenced a lot to the point where it was just time to introduce him to the Longshot community, and I let him know that. So he comes on. We have an awesome conversation just about our friendship a little bit, but also his and Duncan's friendship, which started in second grade. So he really saw everything just from a really unique perspective. And so it's it's interesting to talk about Duncan's story with him. We also talk a little bit about women's basketball, and he is a basketball junkie, one of the smartest guys that I know. Um, and so it, it's a fun one. I really hope you guys enjoy it. I am getting ready to move from Ann Arbor. It's sad. It's a chapter closing but headed back to Kansas City with uh, with Casey, which we're really excited about. We're excited to get back home. Uh, and so I wanted to make sure that I sat down with Harry and talked to him in person before we left. Hope you guys enjoy this one. Thanks for tuning in. We've had this conversation a million times about Duncan, but you hold a mic and it all of a sudden feels different. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's And it's something that we still have not gotten used to. And so, yes, Duncan and I will, and now I'm just talking into the mic to get uh, – try to make it feel normal but it doesn't it just it doesn't and yeah. we've done it a million times and we still will have moments where we just look at each other and we're like you say something. no you say something no you say something and then you just have to stop the first episode we ever did we i don't actually think i've told this story so we might keep this in the podcast but the first episode we ever did january 2021 we're at his apartment we go sit in his guest bedroom which we turned into a studio and by turning into a studio, it was just this. We set up an iPhone on a ring light. And then we're sitting on his couch. And we had written down like five topics of what we wanted to talk about. But it was very broad. And we didn't practice it or anything. So we just went and sat on the couch and started talking. And five minutes in, it just stopped. And it got completely silent. And we both just started like awkwardly laughing. And then just stopped. And we didn't really know what we were doing. And Duncan later in it what what happened is we were like okay we need to reset we put down a more thought out plan and then went back and did it and it was fine yeah but duncan later admitted that in that moment he was like did i mess up asking davis to do this with me like this was weird like maybe i should have had someone yeah. who had podcast experience because <laughs> he's like because i don't have any podcast experience yeah. so the two of us are just like completely lost puppies Caught like in the moment yeah deer in the headlights had no idea what we were doing <laughs> So the point being, you and I can sit here and talk like we have a million times, but as soon as like you know that that camera's on and you're holding the mic and it just yeah. feels a little different. It does. It right? does but, right you now. Know, it's kind of nice. It's kind of it nice. It's a different experience. All right. I'm now introducing, speaking of having no plan, I didn't really have a plan for you either, but I do want to give you an intro. <laughs> I'm now introducing Harry Rafferty from 
Dubuque, Iowa, from Wheeling, Virginia, from Rye, New Hampshire, from Berwick Academy, from Ann Arbor, Michigan. Where's home? Now I would say Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Okay, but, from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. But when we were teammates in high school first, yeah, Wheeling, West Virginia, you got some of that. Yep. Um, and then in college, for sure, Dubuque, Iowa, before Geneva, New York, and then even Nashua, New Hampshire, on the back end of it. Okay, um, I'm gonna go Portsmouth. Yeah, I'll go back to my. A team. little dis- disrespectful to West Virginia, though, that you said Wheeling, Virginia, Wheeling, West Virginia. I knew it was West Virginia. It's heat of the moment. Again, it's the camera's on. It's awkward. All right, from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, slash Ann Arbor, slash Wheeling, West Virginia, slash Dubuque, Harry Rafferty, my former teammate, Duncan's former teammate, was in my wedding, 1,000-point score at Wesleyan University, uh, Sioux Falls Sky Forcer. What do you refer, like if you're a uh, Detroit Piston, if you play for the Pistons, you're a Detroit Piston. If you play for the Sioux Falls Sky Force, you are a... I mean, I would say I was a practice player for the Sioux Falls Sky. That's Force. not true. You played in four games. Four games on the roster for five. So you're not a practice player by definition. <laughs> by definition, you're also doing a good job holding the mic to your mouth. We have a lot of people who don't do who struggle with that. Really struggle with that. It's something that I still struggle with too. Uh, former Sioux Falls Sky Forcer player. Yeah, that's the term I'm going to go with. Now assistant coach of the women's basketball team here at the University of Michigan, coming off their best year ever. Not entirely because of you, but you deserve a sliver of credit. Just a sliver. A sliver is correct. I appreciate that. An amazing But definitely year. the year. credit goes to Kim Barnes-Rico, just so yes. we are very clear. And uh, and Nas. And Nas Hillman. And the entire and the players, class. Every one of the players. All the players, all 15. Um, you guys were magical. Yeah. I mean, also, I just want to give a quick shout out to the two other people who've been here for all Kim's years. <laughs> Amy Mulligan, Sarah Van Meter. Uh, the two long-standing members of Kim's staff. Those Legends. two deserve a lot of credit, too. I will say, living here in Ann Arbor this year, largely because of you, but also just because it's fun to watch basketball, I have watched more women's basketball this year than ever in my life, probably combined. And that's an indictment on who I am as a person. I need to be better. But, God, it was fun to watch you guys. And we'll get to some Michigan basketball later. I want to start with Duncan Stories. This is a really long intro for you. But Harry Rafferty been referenced on this podcast probably 43 times. I went back and counted. No, I didn't, but a lot. And so it just felt like it was time to introduce you to the long shot community. Well, I appreciate you bringing me in first <laughs> off. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to be here. We've known each other for a long time. I've listened to every episode Come of the on. podcast, some of them twice. Um, certainly the Elizabeth Elizabeth Robinson episode yes, twice. Special episode. Um but yeah, I'm a big fan of what you're doing. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. This one's not that different from the Elizabeth episode in the sense that it's fun to, the goal is to like build the, I think the podcast, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm just going to peel back the curtain here for a second. I think the podcasts that like create the world around it or like introduce you to the world around it are fun because it just, it makes it a more immersive experience. Like we are so grateful for the people that listen to this episode and we reference things outside of our lives enough that it's fun to like bring those into the show. You are a perfect example of that. We've told, like I said, I'd be, I I seriously think we've probably told stories about you over 10 times on the podcast just because you're such an important part of me and Duncan's life. I mean, again, you're in my wedding. We went to high school together. We went to college together and you've known Duncan since elementary school. 
since second grade. Second grade. Rivals <laughs> of the Rye Little League. Uh, league that we were in. You were in second grade. You had got a tryout going into third grade to be in the big league. You know, there was the, the AAA, the major leagues. I think they called them the NL and AL, the minors, actually. Whoa. And once you got to fifth grade, you were automatically in it. But third and fourth graders had to try out. So the fact that Duncan and I were part of a handful of third graders to make it's like a league the big league yeah oh yeah it was a big deal back then who was better at that age baseball (sighs) baseball i was better he had better long-term potential he was long (laughs) he could pitch i wasn't a great pitcher um (laughs) the scout the scouts saw him as like high potential yeah but you were producing at a higher level you know he had joined a great team too the braves (laughs) of the rye little league um recreation organization that we were part of they were the class of it i joined the cardinals which were the up-and-comers and and, you know i think they needed immediate production so they drafted me (laughs) which makes sense duncan was a long-term project to fill in for the stars that they already had in their organization Uh, because they they were they weren't number one number one was the dodgers number two was the braves of course it was the dodgers us cardinals four i can't even remember who the third team was irrelevant (laughs) no no no, very relevant (laughs) i can't remember did you have any say about which team you joined or was it purely it was like an nba draft they pick you parents they had a big meeting yeah yeah, there's a lot of politics involved um Elizabeth just weaseled duncan onto the best team not the best team once again the dodgers were the best team they had Someone you know, John Mulvey. Oh, shout yeah, out yeah. to Portsmouth Who, High School basketball. And he the was a coach. baseball legend, right? Legend, the yeah. best player in the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was going into his sixth grade year, our third grade year. Unbelievable pitcher, hitter, the whole thing. Um, and yeah, so he, they were clearly the class of the league. I should have said that to start. Braves were no. close, <laughs> but um, but no, John Mulvey. He was, you know, that was the guy you were afraid to go in the box against. Lefty, right? Pitcher. Lefty, yep, the whole yeah, thing. I've heard so, stories. Yeah. But so Duncan didn't join that dynasty, but he was close there after. But okay. back to it, I was a better player at that age. Which isn't that surprising. Was it I actually would guess it was similar in basketball. We played in different leagues, you know. At that age, the Rye Recreation League that I was in only was at Rye Elementary. Duncan, I think, played in a Portsmouth, Newcastle league. So our rivalry and a little bit of friendship at that point was completely around the sport of baseball. Oh, I actually didn't know that. The basketball relationship hadn't blossomed. When did that take off? So then I moved to Wheeling, West Virginia from fourth to sixth grade. Yep. We shouted that out in the intro. Yep. Thank you. (laughs) Not Virginia, West Virginia. Yeah, correct. When I came back in seventh grade, Duncan was the big shot of Rye Middle School, Rye Junior High. Um, He... uh, and I was kind of the new guy in town. People knew me from my stint in second and third grade. Well, from your production on the Cardinals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Um, but by that point, we were both starting to lean towards basketball. And and the rivalry really took on another life of its own in middle school because now I was the new guy on his home territory of being the best player on the middle school team. And, and, uh, and yeah, it was... It was some heated heated times in that little two-year stint in middle school together. You guys are, just to provide a little context, you guys are best friends at this point. Today, I'm talking about. Uh, you know him better than anyone that I'm aware of outside of family, which is a large part of why I wanted you on this podcast. But you're saying at this age, you guys are rivals. Like, is there is there a friendship at all? It's like, and I think this is something a lot of people can relate to in middle school, high school, it's a very fake friendship. Mm. We invite each other to birthdays or to go hang out with other people, but there is disdain for each other. And 
and it really was like in all seriousness we would try out for the same travel teams aau teams and it was like we each wanted to be the best player from you know portsmouth new hampshire the greater area of um and, and it was we would like get in fights at at recess at, at these travel tryouts um his dad was our middle school coach i always thought jeffrey who i love and and is a you know, mentor to mine now. I always thought he was playing favorites in middle school. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh it was it was a heated f- friendship, but more of a rivalry. It's so funny because it makes so much sense. Like I knew some of this, but it does make so much sense because when I met you guys at Exeter, we're eighteen. You guys were really close at that point, so the rivalry had sort of turned into this friendship, and you guys were teammates, and you guys were. I, I said this with Elizabeth, and I mean it. You two and Chris played AAU together, and I really think you guys were the reason we were so good at Exeter because you guys were our best players, and you were tight, and you were friends, and you had history. And But so to hear that you guys were rivals at this age, it makes sense because while you guys were so close at Exeter, there was still like this bitter, not bitter, but harsh competitive edge that you both had, and it would come out in whether we were playing two on two or open gym or spike ball or whatever, silly ball, whatever it was, you you guys would go at each other in a way that honestly caught me off guard because you guys were such good friends. And I didn't have that relationship with some of my best friends back home, even the athletes that I grew up playing with. It's like, I was the guy and I'm not, (laughs) I'm the guy in like practice when you're doing the zigzag drill where I want to get better, but I don't necessarily want to like steal the ball from you too much to the point where I embarrass you. You and Duncan want, would want to embarrass each other. Am- well, at Exeter too, you're you're leaving out that for those who haven't been to Exeter's campus, it's sprawling. It's this you know, yeah, very similar to college, small college campus where you and Duncan lived on the far side of campus, yep, true. and Chris Braley, who's been referenced a lot on this on this podcast, yeah, as well, he's, an, he's a guest soon. He uh, he was on the other side with me, so it set up this natural two-on-two rivalry, <laughs> whether it was basketball, True. you know, silly ball, which, you know, is basically a, a form of tennis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> per with se, your hands. On, yeah, with your hands on, <laughs> on, uh, on the Exeter campus. Some, some battles yeah, on that but, court. But from the day you got there, it really was. It became yeah. you two versus us two. That's true. And at the heart of that was always what you were mentioning, this, yeah. you know, this competitiveness between Duncan and I that, like I said— was rooted in in a relationship that went back to second grade. Yeah. So it's fascinating. And so I want to go, I want to backtrack to that. So second grade, you guys, it sort of starts, then you come back in middle school. What is he? So he's the best, is he one of the best players in the town at that point? Yeah, one of the best players in the town. And from what I heard, I missed his sweet spot a little bit. Fifth, sixth grade, (laughs) he was truly, that was his peak. That was early on his peak, probably until he gets to at least his senior year at Governor's Exeter. And obviously college. That's interesting because wasn't there a little bit of a lull there in between? Because when I met him, he was in, I think it was 10th grade, going into sophomore year. And he wasn't one of the guys, like we met at the camp, which we talked about in this podcast, in, in Brandeis in Boston. And he would not have stuck out to anybody watching. So what happened in that stretch? So... If I came in right at when it started to go a little bit downhill for him, you know, in seventh, eighth grade, others were growing. He would, he kind of spurred it up to, like you said, five, eight, five, nine, maybe yeah. early there, sixth, yeah. seventh grade. But then he doesn't grow again until his, I don't know, 
sophomore, junior year, he starts to get a little taller in high school. Yeah. And then even senior year in our PG year wasn't until he got to six, seven, six, eight. Yeah. Um, so while everyone was growing, you know, he started to get frustrated with it, started to lose some confidence. And, and at the meantime, I was one of the ones on the other side of it where I was growing into myself. Yeah. You had the mustache um, in like seventh grade. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> you too, know, I was probably around the same height I am now, <laughs> um, you know, around five eleven. Yeah. Like it was like, we were going two different directions and sure. that really did happen until you came into the picture when we both met you. Yeah. I only met you quickly at that camp because yeah. you were with Duncan, I think on his team. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. So I just remember you at the camp from afar, but even then that was kind of like the peak of my, you know, being a prospect for basketball in high school and Duncan hadn't got there yet. It's so interesting, dude, because it is such a factor in recruiting. I was the same way where I was hairy legs, started to grow facial hair in like eighth grade, seventh grade, like before everybody else. And I was one of the tallest kids on my team, but I was the point guard. And it was the same thing. Whereas like in ninth grade, you would watch and be like, oh my God, this kid is like really has some potential. And then you just stop growing and everyone catches up. And it just, it changes the recruiting so quickly based on when you go through puberty. No, it's completely true. And, you know, you see that because a lot of times those kids that grow early and I believe it was Malcolm Gladwell who talked about this in a book about hockey hockey players that because they were born at a different time of the year um some of them just had an advantage because then you're looked at as one of the better players you get put in you know the better age brackets you get put on the better teams you get put on this fast track of development that where if you know you're a little bit of a late bloomer sometimes you can you know fall through the cracks it's happening less and less i think people are starting to recognize it you know but it definitely is a part of the whole recruitment and, and becoming a prospect is what group you get placed in at these camps and, yeah. and what trajectory you're put on. Totally. And I was a product of that, by the way. I got to play on the best teams in the Kansas City area growing up, and my team was always the one on travel tournaments. And then I got to the point where I was playing for Mocan, and they went on the EYBL circuit my junior year, and I didn't make that team because it was it was like everyone else had caught up at that point. And it was this moment of realization of like, oh, shit, am I done? Like, I think I'm done growing. Like, is this the peak of my... So anyway... Duncan is an example of how that I think can hurt you. Is that fair to say? Because like early on in his high school career, and he's talked about this on the podcast, he wasn't playing a lot sophomore, junior year at Governors. And then his senior year, he has a great year. Is that alone enough for him to be like, okay, let's try this Exeter thing? Do you remember those conversations? And did you guys make that decision together of like, hey, let's go to Exeter? You know, I think... I think by that point in Duncan's life, he was starting to fall so love in love with the game of basketball, and and Elizabeth alluded to this last episode, yeah. of that I don't think it was going to matter what other people thought of him at that point. I think he was committed to it at at that point of even if he ended up just being, you know, a Division three player at whatever school that he was going to give everything he had to till you know his last day of college at least, but yeah. maybe even further than that. Um, I do remember. The conversations because just kind of the arc of it you know when we got out of middle school we both went to separate high schools um and by sophomore year we became you know really close friends we realized we were both starting to get perhaps a little bit overlooked in in the recruiting process and and had a little bit of a chip on our shoulder that we were trying to play basketball from the state of new hampshire by no stretch of an imagination you know a hotbed um and or basketball hotbed i should say yeah, right. um and I remember the conversations at that point was, all right, how do we, 
you know, position ourselves, you know, whether it's a PG year, transferring to another school, you know, whatever it was of putting ourselves in the best position to get recruited, but also, you know, we were more focused on the development process of how do we get better? Yeah. You know, we do think we're good enough and we're getting overlooked now, but how do we get to the point where we can keep improving so that we can compete with anyone? Um, and, you know, Exeter ended up being where that happened, but, you know, we were very close to going to the Tilton school with, yeah. with George, um, Niang, a God. consultant of the pod. Oh my goodness. Um, you is... know, we loved their coach up there, a guy named Marcus O'Neill, and they had such incredible thing going yeah um you know with nerland's noel and, and wayne selden and yeah and all these guys we, yeah we thought about that for a sec and um you know then the decision to play AU basketball somewhere that was a big one where we we talked about it and i think we made a, a really wise choice with michael crowdy of the middlesex magic yep. seeing where that program has taken off to but it was a constant you know kind of all right what should we do what's the next strategic step to try to get to where we want to basketball wise and was it, was it a joint decision? Like, were you guys going into that thing together at that point? Because what a uh, friendship arc that is from bitter, bitter rivalries to essentially saying we're a package deal. Let's do this thing together. Yeah. Um, at some point in there, you know, we just started to realize that just from a competitive standpoint, what we were talking about earlier, that we could push ourselves to another level doing it together. Yeah. Um, we really believed in that. And and, you know, with the crew that Jay Tilton was um, forming at Exeter and, and him kind of talking to us about, you know, around Chris Braley and yep. and our other friend Jordan Hill, who ended up yep. playing at Wisconsin. And me. Um, and yourself, <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Um, <laughs> how could I overlook that? <laughs> but a bunch of other guys, too. I mean, yeah. you know. We had a squad. We had a great team. Um, but that we thought if we went into it together, we could really push ourselves to, to become the best players we could be. Yeah. Um, you know, just through working day in and day out. And that process, that turn in our mindset happened somewhere, along, you know, between sophomore, junior year of high school. It was something that, like your guys' uh, competitive edge with each other, immediately jumped out to me was how much you guys pushed each other because of that competitiveness. But it wasn't, Again, it's the career arc of like the rivalry to the friendship. It was never, it was a, it was a together thing. Like we're going to get to the mountaintop. And I told, I think I, I've talked about this. I think maybe it was with Elizabeth. It made me reflect on how much I loved basketball, how hard you guys worked. And I mean that seriously. Like it was 5 a.m. I think Elizabeth said 3 a.m., but it was at Exeter, 5 a.m. You're dragging me out of bed in the morning. Like there was just this drive that frankly, I honestly hadn't seen from many of my peers in Kansas. And that's no knock to my friends in Kansas, but you guys were just getting after it. Do you, did you feel like you were pulling him along? Like, were you getting him out of bed the same way you were getting me out of bed? Or was he just as bought in, like just as driven? I think what I'm trying to get at is here is like, are you taking, do you want some credit for where he is? Like none, you're, you're dragging none, him out none, of bed none. working out? It was, you know, it just... We both, um, you know, were able to help each other get to new heights. It was not, you know, one person taking the other. It was like, it really was, It was, but it was rooted in, like I said, that, that competitiveness of we didn't want the other person mainly to have an advantage because yeah. we knew, you know, if, if one of us slept in, if, if, you know, if you took a day off that the other person was working and, and Duncan certainly felt that way about me and me about him. It was just... 
it really was, it was, you know, we wanted to help each other, but we also wanted to compete with the other one. Yeah. Um, you know, it, uh, and it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to another guy, Noah LaRoche, who you work for, yep. who's, um, truly one of the best coaches in the world. Um, you know, he, he, he coaches a lot of the NBA guys in the summertime out in LA. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff and ideas that we got for our, our training and, and the way we went about things, I stole from Noah growing up. Um, and, you know, and Duncan knew Noah. We both knew he, he, it felt like, at least we believed at this stage of our life, had this blueprint for how we could improve. So even once we started doing other things at Exeter or with the Magic or on our own, it became, you know, this constant just, um, you know, taking that blueprint that Noah gave and then how can we make it a little bit better for for our specific cases. Yeah. No, it it makes sense. And I, so it, it's, again, it's funny how the work ethic alone would have gotten him to a great situation playing basketball because, you know, you put that much work in, you're going to be a formidable player. But then he hits the growth spurt, right? Like we're talking about how puberty impacts your, like then he hits the growth spurt, all of a sudden he's 6'8". And if I, you will have a better recollection of this than me, but if I remember correctly, he at Exeter, we showed up in the fall and he had already made his decision essentially right away that he was going to Williams. Then he has this incredible year at Exeter. We have this incredible year at Exeter. We win a championship, go 25 and one. And Duncan's amazing, right? In that NESCAC championship game, he doesn't miss a shot. He's nine of nine from the field or something like that. And I I remember even then being like the the narrative started to be, oh, is this guy, should he be playing at a higher level? But he had already locked in to Williams. And he, if I remember correctly, he like he was, he's not the type of person that was going to back out of that commitment. Like he was excited about Williams. And even though there were murmurs of like, oh, hey, you, he could probably go play at this level. He could probably, he was fixated on, no, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to play at this level. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes I see it played up in stories, the the bit of it that, you know, he was completely overlooked by every Division One school and that, that, you know, how could they miss on this guy who could shoot it like this? But it's a little bit mistold sometimes in that sense that, you know, our year going in, so Duncan, his senior year, he you guys have documented well on this podcast that he didn't start really playing at Governors until his senior year. Yeah. And he had a great high school season. Um, but they weren't a great team. I think a lot of people wanted to see him do it in AAU basketball or on a on a bigger circuit um, or, you know, in a bit higher level of high school basketball at Exeter. Well, that summer going into our postgraduate year, he had a serious back injury. He was still growing from 6'5 to what he was, and he had this debilitating um, thing where he really couldn't move very much. And I know he's talked about that a little bit on the podcast, yeah. but he probably undersold just how limited he was physically. And he's, what, 17 17, 18, 17, 18 right, right in that range. So Wait for a growth spurt. Yeah, and by that point, Mike Maker, the, the coach at Williams College, um, you know, he had really started to turn on the recruitment process of that he was his number one target. You know, Duncan was this unique case of someone that wanted to play basketball at the highest level but wasn't going to sacrifice the academic piece of it. Yeah. Or I should say Elizabeth and, yeah, right, and Jeffrey right. weren't going to yeah. allow it. Yeah. Um, you know, that that was going to be a big piece. So by the time we got to Exeter and he took that visit to Williams – 
you know, he didn't want to lose out on that opportunity, even though he knew in the back of his mind, I think, by that point, all right, if I wait this out, I can probably go yeah. somewhere, you know, bigger, maybe at the Ivy League or Patriot League. Yeah. But he didn't want to risk that. It was too good of an opportunity at Williams. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we joke about now was his only path to the power five level here at Michigan. Yeah. Um, was going somewhere where the coach believed in him that much and, and things turned out like they did. If he would have waited that whole year at Exeter, it wasn't going to lead to right. a power five scholarship. Right. He right. would have got recruited by division one schools, but this was the only way he was getting yeah. to the Big Ten and to Ann Arbor. Whether you're going to be a groom in a wedding party or a lucky guest, everyone wants to look their best for a wedding. I know I did. And I spent a lot of time looking around, you know, I was looking at different rentals. I was looking at local places in Kansas City. It was hard to find the right suit. Stuff was expensive. Stuff didn't fit me the right way. Maybe didn't have the color I was looking for. I knew exactly what I wanted. I wanted that sleek midnight navy, you know, the really dark blue that almost looks black, but then you get it next to black and you're like, oh, that's blue. How sexy is that? And with Indochino, I had exactly what I needed because with Indochino, you get custom fitted stuff to help you look great, feel confident, and enjoy the big day without fussing over your clothes. I got to choose every detail on the suit, the pants, the jacket, the shirt, stuff that I didn't even know you got to decide on a suit. I'm talking like pockets, shoulders, lapel, what color I wanted the buttons, where I wanted the buttons, all sorts of stuff. I even, I went with the pants that don't have the belt buckles. It was a beltless pant, which just, I don't know, it just helped me feel even a little bit sexier on my big wedding day. And that's what Indochino can do. Every suit is made to your exact measurements and you can customize every detail. Create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly with options for fabrics, lapel shape, custom monograms, statement linings, and more. And the best part, Indochino suits start from just $429 and shirts from just $79. Let me tell you, I did a lot of suit shopping for my wedding and that's a price that is hard to beat. Indochino also offers completely custom fitted shirts, casual wear, and more. So it's not just for weddings. But I know we're coming up on wedding season. So if you want to look your best for a wedding, if you've got a big day coming up, getting the perfect look is no big deal with Indochino. Get $50 off your purchase of $399 or more by using promo code LS at Indochino.com. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com. Promo code LS. <laughs> I think it's so interesting how, and Elizabeth said this last week, if the story ended at Williams, it would have been a massive success, right? Like he goes to this amazing school, good program. They were really good. He was a large reason of that. It would have been, you know, like, that's great. Happy ending, right? Like all the work you guys put in, you're playing at Wesleyan. We win a championship at Wesleyan. He's playing at Williams. They probably would have continued to have really good years at Williams. Happy ending. Like we're playing basketball in the college level. It would have been great. And then things just changed so quickly. And I remember uh I remember thinking when Michigan became cuz like you said, Williams was probably the only path where that was an option. But now a year after Williams and the year he has, Michigan's all of a sudden on the table. And I remember he dropped the J Cole caption on Instagram 
keep grinding, boy. Your life can change in one year. And he's doing the flex with the Michigan jersey. And I remember thinking, holy shit. Like, this is the greatest. Like, he's playing at a Big Ten school. Like, not even playing. He's on the team. Did you, I, I'm going to guess you had more faith at that point. Then, Like, I remember for me, it was like, oh my God, he's going to sit on the bench at Michigan. Like, this is amazing. What an experience. Yeah. Did you have the belief that, like, no, no, this guy, like, he's capable of, like, he's going to help this team win. At that point, I did. At that point, after that Williams year. It was apparent. Um, it was apparent. You know, I'd been around him enough to just know what he, was inside of him and, and that it was possible. But, you know, as, once again, just to reiterate what you guys have talked about on this podcast a number of times, situation is so important yeah. in any team sport, but particularly basketball. Um, you just don't never know how it's going to play out. Um, you know, and that was a big part of that conversation that summer, um, you know, of where he should go from Williams. That, yeah, he has an offer from Michigan and Creighton and Davidson, and, and those are incredible, but where is he going to be able to continue to produce yeah. at that level? And, and where where was the best chance that it would go right? Because, um, you know, it's easy saying retrospect you know right. hindsight 2020 but <laughs> there was a lot of moments in those michigan days oh where yeah it's like whoa like you know this this could be taking a turn for the worst here in terms of individual now we for sure know, still had all these incredible opportunities here at michigan but in terms of becoming the best basketball player and reaching his potential um <laughs> it was it was definitely up and down there's a lot of ebbs and flows and you we talked about this a little bit before we started recording but it was such a quick rise that first year after he redshirted. So the first year he could play, it was such a quick rise. I remember, I think I was, I was getting the live stats on my phone and it was like one of the first games of the year he had 21 or something. Like I just remember all of a sudden he was producing, uh, and you know, Dickie V's on the call. They beat Maryland number three in the country. And Dickie V's like, how about he has a shoot off him and Curry is like, he's the greatest shooter I've ever seen at this level. It's like, he's going to get a chance at the next level. And it was just like all of a sudden in a year, it went from this guy's playing division three basketball to now Dickie V is telling him he should have a shoot off with Steph Curry on national TV. Uh, and it seemed like whole, like, you know, the, the roller coaster was just going up. But then, like you said, it wasn't smooth sailing the whole time. Then he gets benched and then he's back in the lineup and then he gets benched again his senior year. What do you remember from those conversations? Because I know he was on the phone with you in those moments. Like, what, what, where's his mental at at that point? Like, what? It's, and the reason I'm interested in this is because, you know, we're sort of going through it again, right? Like, he's now on the bench in Miami, and it's become a national media story of why is Duncan on the bench? And Elizabeth and I said this last week. We've talked about this on the podcast. This is new for him. Like, he's been through these moments of adversity. And I think you know better than anybody where his mental was at the first times he was going through this stuff. Yeah. Um, in regards to where it is now, you're right. He's been through this before of of that, you know, <laughs> we talk about it a lot with our current players here at Michigan. Coach Rico does an unbelievable job. We talk about the path to mastery, you know, that, that there's going to be when you're chasing something as, you know, far-fetched of, being an NBA player to begin with, but certainly now where he is, which is you've gotten the big contract and and you've had this success, but how do you continue to improve, continue to find the edge? 
and it comes in the day-to-day work, you know, and that's what, that's what was incredible just from my position of watching Duncan throughout the entire journey from when he was really from that sophomore year of high school that about that point when we really went all in on that this is what we wanted to do. Um, we even made each other, <laughs> we wrote out these contracts, you know, in high school that, that it was like, no, like whenever it goes bad, we're going to hold each other accountable. Um, you know, that, that this is what we want to do. We're going to chase this for as long as, as possible. Wait, I, I, sorry, I have to stop. I've never heard this story. What's on the, what was on the contract? It was, it was just a list of, of things. You know, I was the, the try hard who actually wrote it down. <laughs> no, 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 Dun- no. Duncan try la- hard's the wrong term. This Duncan is amazing. laughed at, laughed at when, you know, when we first saw it, but it was like legitimately like, you know, I think I said, I, I believe till the age of 25 was like when we were like, no, we're going to go after this and see where it can go. Even at the professional ranks. Um, that whenever something went awry that we'd always come back to, all right, what was this base, this blueprint yeah. um, that, that I mentioned earlier of, of what we believe in work ethic wise yeah. and, and that no matter what the situation is or what's happening, you know, of things you can't control at that given moment, this is what we're going to come back to. And as long as you stay that course over the long haul, there's no sure thing in this, you of know, not. but that we were going to put our, you know, go all in per se. And I hear you say it now, bet on yourself of that. You just keep going along that path. Um, wow. And Duncan better than anyone I've known in my entire life um, has always came back to when things are wrong or things, you know, aren't going the way he wanted it to in whatever, but particularly basketball, he was going to stay along this path Yeah, and he was going to keep working. And, just once again to bring it back to where we are now because it was true at Michigan during those ups and downs um but like that's what makes me confident it's going to happen now is you know that he still is going to be the guy in there early every day getting his work in doing his routine um he's going to be a good teammate because you know that's the beauty of this now on the coaching side of it I can empathize with with the Miami Heat coaches and and you know all their decision makers now it's easy to right. it's easy to trust them because they're such an incredible organization and yeah. have such a large sample size of proving that they're going to make the right decision but regardless of that that's outside of the control like Duncan knows that he's going to do what he can to keep getting better just like he has every day since he was 15 and to it I know I'm now I'm going on and on no please I love but it but when he was here at Michigan there were so many examples of that you know if it was the red shirt year um which now seems like a a crazy idea that you'd have to sit out a year to transfer you know in the modern transfer portal era but worked out for him though yeah that year is probably for the best but he flipped it he you know he says this a lot he flipped it into okay this is going to be a year where i don't have to worry about producing and this and that it allowed him to get himself situated so then that next year when the lights were on and it was time to go and he had those moments um, of early success, he could still stay on that, that, okay, this is my routine. This is what I did for that whole year of sitting out. Yeah. And then his junior year, when he gets benched, um, for DJ Wilson, who had, you know, suddenly a meteoric rise yeah. to, to being one of the best players on the team. I'll never forget that game. I think it was S- SMU at Madison square garden. Yeah. I should say, I don't, I'll never forget that night talking to him, but that was that game where it was like, oh no, he had this unbelievable first year eligible at Michigan. Yeah. And now he's gotten past. Yeah, he didn't really play. You know, he was suddenly pushed back to a reserve role. And 
it was it was incredible. He once again is like, okay, this is what it is. I'm not happy about it. You know, I, I thought after last year I was going to be on this rise to where I really want to end up, but now it's just back to what we've been doing every single day. Yep. Senior year, same thing. Isaiah Livers, a great player, comes in, makes him, you know, takes a starting spot again. Yeah. Or what he thought it was going to be his going into his senior year. He flips it. And he's able to ride that balance between that hard work yep. and still being a great teammate, which in a team sport is everything. Yeah. You know, it, that, it's that type of guy that allows the team to go to where they want to go because no matter who's playing, who isn't, shoot, well, there's that guy and that guy and that guy who are still working, who aren't in the rotation yep. or aren't playing as much, and they're still doing what they're needed. I think that's why he's been on so many winning teams as well over the years yeah. because he can still add that even if he's unhappy or he's going to stay the course in the work. A couple of things. First of all, that was beautiful. Secondly, uh, senior year, yeah, gets benched, thinks he's going to start, goes on to win sixth man of the year in the Big Ten. And you're so right. The importance of having, and you know this as a coach, but also as a player, Wesleyan was the same way. The year we won the championship, the guys who, <laughs> this is going to sound like I'm complimenting myself, but I'm, I'm, that's not the intention. The guys who didn't play a lot, were awesome tim gallivan like all these guys i could list all of them but just but, pause sorry because you talk on this podcast a lot because it's your <laughs> podcast you were one of those guys we won a championship our sophomore year division three because we had like you said you were going to name all those guys studs studs the older guys but you as well were a part of this you were as good really very marginally different than anyone in our rotation but it was that role acceptance yeah. that we're talking about and your ability to keep working in the other guys that allowed us as a team to to take a new height sorry continue though. i thank you for complimenting me i don't I want to talk about me less but i now sound like duncan but you're no you're a hundred percent right the value that that brings to a locker room when there's no toxic energy everyone accepts their role they understand that their number might get called at some point Tim Galvin might come in at Wesleyan and give us an eight-minute, eight-point stretch. And that stuff matters so much when everybody's bought in. And it's why, like you said, Duncan has been on winning teams at every level. And it makes sense. At Exeter, we were a winning team. At Williams, he was on a winning team. At Michigan, he was on a winning team. And he contributed to all those teams. But there were moments where he wasn't. There were moments at Exeter where he wasn't great. But no one, like the, there was never any griping there was everyone was bought in everybody understood what it was and i think the heat can make a run this year and it's going to be for the same exact reason like he's going to be of the utmost he's going to be a professional and they're going to call him on it on him at some point there's going to be a time where he's needed and he's going to be ready because that's what he does and it it sounds so cliche and he talks he said it on the podcast a million times you know it's you don't get caught up in the numbers you fall back on the work and it sounds like he's you know that paul rudd have you ever seen paul one paul rudd hot ones where he's like I just, I repeat the same answer so much that it now feels like I'm, I don't even know if what I'm saying is the truth. I'm just sort of, I've memorized this response and now I'm just sort of regurgitating it. It feels at times like Duncan is doing that. Like he's just saying the same thing over and over again, but it's true. And you put it, you laid it out very eloquently and very beautifully, but he's been that way. And you've been that way since I met you guys is like the power and the ability to just fall back on the work and I love this game. I love the work. It's part of my routine. And then the results fall. Like you just, or the results follow. You sort of let the cards fall where they may. There's something so beautiful about that. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's the truth about 
like I said, any team sport. It's right? not just sports either, or, right? Or any great business or any yeah, great anything. Anything good in life, there needs to be that. And I'm actually even going to push back on what you said before of that. I think the griping and the and sometimes that you got to vent it out and 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 be vulnerable in that way is part of it as well. You know, it's like Fair. when you put as much into it as Duncan puts into his career. Um, or, or most people put into their careers for that matter, I believe at least, there's going to be that process of, of processing whatever yeah. is going on and, and the failures of it and, and the things that aren't in, within your control. But with that is the perspective to see, okay, this is where it is right now. I can't control that. And now how do I work with it? Um, it's not easy though. Like That's the other, the other side of this coin is that's really fucking hard. Excuse my language. My grandma's not going to like that, but it is, it's really hard. And especially where the thing that pisses me off so much. And now that we're on the topic, I just have to vent it out. Social media doesn't always matter. Like the opinion on there. I I know that it's, it's easy to say to just ignore it, but the notion with Duncan now that it's like, Oh, he's living the American dream. He's getting paid $90 million to sit on the bench. He gets courtside tickets to the playoffs. Like I hate that so much because it should not be overlooked that you do that willingly and you're a good teammate and you're a professional and like, that's not easy. That's not the American dream. It doesn't matter how much you're getting paid. That's a really hard switch to flip. And Duncan's built that way so he can do it. But there are a lot of examples of guys who don't make that transition smoothly. And then, like we said, it can be a detriment to the team. And so anyway, I just had to vent that out. That really pisses me off. No, when I, see no I mean, I think, you know, that's part of the entertainment value of, of the NBA or any of these major sports leagues is, you know, when the money gets as big as it is for these guys, that that adds a whole nother element to it and and puts them on a pedestal that allows fans to, you know, feel like they have free reign to to throw stones or to say, well, you can't complain about this or that. Um, when the reality of it is, is it's still really hard day in and day out. And in some ways, I think the money or fame or all those things that you know, are elusive to most, it's like that makes it even harder. That makes it harder to, once you've gotten there, how am I going to stay doing what we mentioned before of yeah. the day-to-day work of it? Why? What's the what's the purpose of it? Um, you know, there's so many great artists out there, <laughs> you know, authors, musicians, um, com- you know, comedians that talk about this, but, um, you know, how do you, how do you do it? I think, especially in a world like the NBA where it's so insulated, and you're always in comparing yourself to the next person who yep. has this and that. Yep. And it's it's really hard to keep that perspective. Yeah. Um, and once again, you know, as someone who's seen Duncan through some of the tough times of it, um, even right now as as this is, you know, been a struggle sometimes accepting this new role, it's his ability to stay the course in those moments that, you know, I think will always remain one of his most valuable assets as a yeah. player in person. <clears throat> yeah, and differentiate them. Um, okay, enough about Duncan. I want to talk about you a little bit. That's why I had you on the podcast because you're, by the way, you're crushing this. Is, you got some good stuff in there. Um, I want to talk current job, Michigan women's basketball, because again, I've solidified my uh, application to be a super fan. Um, what's the jump been like for you? Because for everything you just said, your life has been since you signed that contract whenever you did at 15, 16, 
Somewhere in there. I'm not sure. To be Since honest. you signed that 10-year contract, we're going to give this everything until 25. You did. And by the way, your story, we, we talk about long shot stories. Yours is one that we're going to dive into at some point on this podcast with Duncan. We're not going to do it today. But your rise to a 1,000-point score at Wesleyan and then just grinding to get all the juice out of your career that you could – go play with Sioux Falls for those four games, which by the way, not a practice player. Like that was an incredible feat, an incredible accomplishment and a testament to how much work you put in. You do all this. We talked about Noah LaRoche. You work with him. You're training NBA guys. It seemed like for me, just watching you on this journey, your path was taking you to, oh, this guy's going to coach in the NBA. Like this guy's going to go work for, he's going to be a video coordinator for the whoever, whoever, whoever it is. But you make this jump to the women's side, and it has been so much fun to watch you in this role, and I know how much you've enjoyed it and how much you've loved it, but I'm going to guess you didn't see yourself making that jump. What was the switch like? Because it's basketball. It's, it's the same sport, but making the jump to the women's side, was there? What's, what was that adjustment like for you? I think you hit it on the head there that you know my approach coming into it when I became a part of this program um, was that it was basketball and it's been amazing to be reassured that that's true in this time in my time with this program that if you're around people that love it and and you know the players if they want to get better at it if the coaches are passionate about it women's men's whatever um, you know whatever level of college whatever le- level of pros like that's what makes it fun um, and yeah, I didn't see this coming when I, you know, came on as the GA here, but I remember the interview very vividly of of feeling that way about my boss and head coach right now, Kim Barnes Rico, that wow, that woman is passionate and and loves this game and has done it. You want to talk about long shot stories, like she's a woman who started coaching high school basketball and has never been an assistant. She went from high school to division 3 to wow. division 2 to St. John's and to here and has won everywhere she went. And I wanted to see, you know, what her magic was. And once again, it comes back to what we were talking about, um, that the magic's just in the day-to-day. She yeah. works. She works and works. And if you put that type of work ethic with that type of love for the game um, and surround yourself with enough of those people, you know, you talked about our seniors of Nas Hillman, Danielle Rausch, Amy Dilk, Emily Kaiser. Yeah. You know, they did it on a team level. And then in this office, I know I'm just going to keep listing names. Do it. don't mean anything. But, you know, Amy Mulligan and Sarah Van Meter, two people who have been here for 10 years. And, and I'll just, and you know, name my assistants I've worked with since I've been an assistant. You know, Val Nanima, Carrie Moore. We just hired Aaron Bath from NC State. All these women are just so passionate about basketball in the same way that Duncan and I and you were growing up. Um it's just, and I, you know, I just, I can't tell you how much I love being around people like that. That's what fuels my love for the game. Yeah. Whenever I've been on great teams or, you know, the, some of the best relationships in my life have been around that, a true love of basketball. Yeah. And I think that's true on either side. And I really hope that more and more people start seeing that so that, you know, the WNBA college women's basketball can get the attention and, and these players can get the salaries they deserve yeah. because, you know, you you described it as a personal flaw earlier. It isn't a personal flaw. It's a societal flaw that we don't appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's taught. It's taught. This is 
that this is the way it's always been, which is very rarely a good reason for anything to be. It's yeah. just because it's the way it's always been. Um, so, you know, I'm excited about it. We have a great group coming back and I've, I've loved my time in the women's game so far. I hope eventually there can be more of a synergy between the two games. Yeah. You know, I, I hope there, that barrier gets broken, particularly in men's college basketball at some point of, of women working in that space as they're starting to win the NBA. Yeah. And, um, and obviously vice versa, like it's been for a long time. Yeah. It feels like it's gotten better, right? Because like the argument is like, well, well, no one watches. It's not on TV. It's like, how could you? But more and more, it, maybe I'm wrong. I think you probably have a better post than I do. But this year it felt like more games were televised. I was dialed in, by the way, and millions of people were. The viewership numbers were way up for the tournament. Uh, it was so much fun to watch. By the way, the WNBA is the same way. The WNBA finals were elite. For anybody who missed those, you missed out because it was high-level basketball. It is. It's so much fun. And you can see it in the NBA, too. Like, guys are more outspokenly supporting the WNBA. Guys are wearing the hoodies into games. Guys are sitting courtside. I think it's so good for the game because people will follow, I think, as these prominent athletes more and more are supporting each other. It becomes, like, cool to do so. Like, there's a serious impact there because, like you said, it's – it is the same game. It's bad. Like it's, I, you sit and watch those games. You sit and watch the, you know, women's national championship. You sit and watch the WNBA finals, and it's really good, really entertaining, high level basketball. And I really think it's just ignorance that people don't tune into it. But as it becomes as it becomes available, yeah, people will find it. Well, you hit it on the head once again that it's about you know the the access to see women's basketball needs to continue to grow and we need to um continue to market these athletes in society and and you know to the youth so they can be familiar because i refuse to believe that just because dunking for instance is less in the women's game that that's really a reason that people aren't tuning yeah, in as right, much i think right i think it's a terrible argument yeah by the way. i think i think the answer to that is People like to watch sports where they know the players and they know their stories yep. and they can have this shared human experience per totally. se um, of like, oh, you know, that we have this in common to the, the person I'm watching or we don't have this or you learn about them. Um, I think we saw that in Ann Arbor this year. Our best player, Nas Hillman, um, you know, she she was able to relate to the community, to the Ann Arbor um, community, but also the University of Michigan and yeah. the largest alumni network in the world in a way that connected with people and we saw our attendance rise and we saw our following rise. And it's because they could say, Oh, there's Nas, you know, and, and there's all these other players that I know, and I know a little bit about their journey. So we need to continue to propel that into the national spotlight. Um, I think people are trying, I think the inequities of, um, you know, the bubble season yep. and what our players didn't have access to in terms of the weight room down in San Antonio was yep. a big starting spot to ignite people into doing a little bit more, you know, a little bit more. That's yeah. what we have right now. Yeah. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done, but, sure. but I think we're starting to move in, in a good direction in terms of that. Yep. I agree. Um, all right. I don't know how long we've been going, but you said that you only had till six thirty, and it's six thirty two. So I've taken you two minutes over your, uh, your agreed upon end time, which I apologize for. It's two minutes. You're not going to be able to get back, but thanks for coming on the long shot pod. This was high level stuff. I love you very much and uh you're gonna come back on at some point you're gonna come on when duncan's back and the three of us are gonna dial it up and we're gonna die we, there's a lot more to tell there's some more stories to dive into 
I appreciate you having me on, Davis. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of what you and uh, Duncan are doing, and thank you so much for this opportunity. It was great to talk to you.